Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and welcome to episode 847 with Sarah Kennedy. Sarah has some excellent wisdom on how Anybody can do coaching that genuinely makes a positive impact in unlocking greatness. So you'll learn one, the surprisingly simple principles of coaching well, two, the two types of coaching and when to deploy each, and three, a step-by-step guide to doing the coaching effectively. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced, please visit us over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP847. And if you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, check out some of our goodies like the gold nugget email summaries, the full text transcripts, and a whole lot of other good stuff over at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now, here's some good stuff about Sarah. Sarah Kennedy is a leadership strategist and award-winning author who helps arm professionals with the practices and strategies they need to make the critical shift from informed to influential, from doer to driver, and from manager to leader. When she's not speaking or working with her clients, she's cheering on her son's football team or hiding new shoe purchases from her husband and 20-year-old daughter. Big thanks to Sarah for sharing her wisdom with us and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Sarah, welcome back to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Thank you for having me back. I'm glad to be here. I'm excited to hear your wisdom about coaching, but first I need to hear the story. You became a Cupcake Wars judge, which was a longtime dream of yours. What's the story here? Oh, yes. Well, okay. So before anybody gets too excited, I didn't actually appear on the Food Network's show by the same name. But what I did do is for my birthday, I had my husband recreate the show right here in my home. So we invited, I want to say it was eight couples. And part of the invitation meant you had to show up with a homemade, not store-bought, from scratch cupcake with a Texas theme or something that's inspired from the year of my birth, the year I was born. And so these cupcakes were going to be judged on taste theme and presentation. And how many people did you get to sign up for this punishment, Sarah? (laughs) Show up, do some work, and I'll judge you. (laughs) I know. Every single couple came with cupcakes. Okay. I mean, one couple's daughter ended up making them. They admitted it to me, right? Some couples had a blast doing this on their own together and were extremely competitive. I couldn't believe it. But nonetheless... I got to sit 
and taste eight different cupcakes and judge them. And so, hey, I may not have been on the actual show, but recreating it was just as good, if not better. That's cool. Well, well, fun. I'm glad that that worked out and good, good birthday memories there. Way to do it up as opposed to just like, oh, I guess we're going to go to dinner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For a birthday. We did something different. Nifty. Well, let's hear about your your latest book, Coaching Essentials for Managers. Any particularly surprising or counterintuitive discoveries you've made while putting this together? Nothing extraordinary other than I've had people tell me that it is a really good handbook, more than just a book, right? I mean, it serves as a guide. There's a lot of how-tos in there. There are powerful phrases you can use to kind of get you off center under varying circumstances of coaching. There's a coaching prep sheet that you can use before a coaching session so you can feel more confident with the process. And then there's a myriad of actual scenarios that you can read about so that if something similar happens, you have a way to navigate the conversation. So it is a book, but most people tell me it's like a, a nice handbook, like a guide. Okay. And so what's the, the main idea or key takeaway or thesis here? Well, I think the main idea is that anyone can be a good coach, right? It, you know, I think we used to think that a good coach is somebody who's really charismatic and they know how to be uber patient and they just have this knack for more of a counselor type approach. And that's not true. Again, with the right tools, understanding the just core skills that it takes and how to sharpen them, anybody can pursue coaching today. Okay. And talk about the, the book title there says, Coaching Essentials for Managers, the Tools You Need to Ignite Greatness in Each Employee. You say anyone can coach. Any thoughts for non-managers in terms of are there particular skills or tips that you think would be resonant for those folks who don't yet have direct reports reporting to them? Absolutely. In fact, I am working on a course right now for LinkedIn and the title is Peer Coaching. And it derives a lot of the same applications and concepts and skills from leadership coaching. So the very types of attributes and formulas that work for leader to employee coach also work for peer-to-peer coaching. And that's becoming a really growing trend in corporate today. That's cool. And so with peer-to-peer coaching, is it sort of like we switch off in terms of, okay, you coach me, then I coach you? Or, or how does that go down? That's exactly right. And it can be a pair, a partner of coaches, but oftentimes it's a group of about four or five people together that peer coach each other. And so there's a streamlined approach. Certain questions are asked, you know, bring your latest challenge to the group and everybody gets their turn. And then peer coaches are listening not to fix. This is the hard part. It's just like a leader with an employee resist moving to fix it mode right away. But they're listening to ask the right questions so that that person that has a challenge can put more structure around their thinking so that they can reflect on what exactly they want to have happen. 
And then they move into potential solutions based on what they've already tried, based on what the potential roadblocks are or facets that that are part of the the issue. Yeah, I've had some really cool experiences with with pure coaching. I did the first course in the coactive coaching, the the CPCC folks. And I was amazed at how, so, okay, none of us are, are coaches yet certified. We've done the first course out of like six, I don't remember. And yet folks are having these wild breakthrough conversations with tears and, and whatnot. It's like, huh, to your point about how anyone can coach, it's true. It doesn't take a superhuman with crazy, almost psychic like <laughs> empathy skills, but rather it's just, hey, you're paying attention. You're equipped with a few tools and you have just a modicum of you know, patience and good listening and discipline to, to not, and humility to not try to, <laughs> you know, make the mistakes that, that really shut down a conversation that's going somewhere and, and away you can go. Yeah, it is amazing. And it's hard because for leaders, especially, and any high achievement professional, we're wired to fix and coaching you have to sort of sit on your hands because you want right away to say, oh, either that happened to me, which isn't very helpful. I mean, it can be, but to say, oh, you know, that happened to me and this is what I did. It doesn't let the person you're coaching reflect on their particular situation, right? Because what you did to solve something may not even be applicable or work for them. And you have to just be patient with asking the right type of questions, right? Open-ended questions, not yes or no questions because you won't get anywhere with those. So absolutely, anybody can do it, but it does take discipline because of the way we've, we're naturally wired. All right. And can you share with us what's at stake or what's possible or what's at risk if we are, are coaching well versus not well or not at all, or being coached well or not well or not well at all? Yeah, well, this is interesting because when I was writing my book, I did a lot of research around different statistics, right? Because I wanted to compel readers about the advantage of coaching. As many a business book starts, yes. <laughs> yes, and so there are numerous studies that show that well-coached individuals are higher performers, are more productive, and they're more engaged. Now. That seems to be a benefit for the leader and the company. But from the employee standpoint, there were other studies, Gallup being one of them, that found that when employees were well-coached and they felt like a leader had their progress and best interest in mind, right, that they were much more loyal and they didn't feel that they had to look elsewhere to grow and for opportunities. And I think that latter part is probably what's going to get people's attention because right now we all know that retaining talent is a challenge. And what studies have found, multiple studies, is that what people want more than a, a larger paycheck is the idea and the feeling that they're progressing. And let me just say, that progression doesn't necessarily mean an advanced position. And I say that because I think that's why leaders tend to hesitate to do what I call developmental coaching, which is more about how do I help you get more of what you want? 
and do more of the work that you want to do. Because I feel like, well, I know there's no position for me to advance them to. So why am I going to start this conversation if I can't promote them? But nothing's further from the truth here in that those conversations aren't strictly about advancing and getting a new role. They're about sharpening new skills. They're about maybe getting a broader network, being introduced to more people. Maybe they're about taking on a project where they can shine a light on something other than what they typically do. So there are a lot of things leaders can do to help people feel like they're progressing. Well, so let's hear about that. When you talk about developmental coaching, you you say we've got two types. we got performance coaching and developmental coaching. Can you expand upon what each means and the difference between them? Of course. So performance coaching, for many people, they think in terms of short-term. Any conversation that points towards helping the employee improve their performance, meet performance expectations. Whereas developmental coaching is more future-oriented, and that serves to help and support an employee who wants to grow and develop. Okay, understood. And so then do you recommend both or one under certain circumstances versus one is more appropriate for another context? I Absolutely recommend both. I mean, I think a natural cadence with a leader and an employee or peer-to-peer is they're going to be situations that call for both. If you're having regular one-on-one meetings with your employees, sometimes you're going to talk about missing a deadline and what may have caused that. And so that's performance coaching. But other times you're going to circle back to, hey, I noticed that in your individual development plan, you want to get advanced knowledge in Excel. You want to learn how to do pivot tables. Where are we on that? How can I help you? Right? Two different things, but both are scenarios that are perfectly within the realm of happening to the same individual in the same month. Okay. And then you've got a five-step model we're going to chat through. So, But first, could you share with us, are there any key guiding lights, fundamental, essential principles that we should keep in mind. If we think, yeah, coaching, that's something I should do more of, or I'd like more of. Are there some must remembers before we dig into the one, two, three, four, five of the five steps? Well, I mean, I think it's a little bit of a mindset shift because those of us who were in corporate for years may have seen coaches or coaching reserved for individuals who weren't performing at their best, right? So instead of it being a positive, it was almost a negative. So that's number one. Now coaching is in some cases reserved for those who are being groomed for the next level. So it can be absolutely a positive thing. Also, performance coaching to me does not include corrective action. So I just want to make that clear. If you were to read and go through any of my literature on coaching, some people may think, okay, what's the deal here? This sounds a little too soft. Well, that's because I'm assuming that this is not corrective action. You've not coached the person multiple times before on an issue. You're not to the point where you need to think about whether this is even the right fit for the person or whether they need to move on, right? So coaching is not corrective action. Coaching is a conversation. At the heart of it, 
that's what it is. And it's a way for you to partner with the employee and discover mutually what the issue might be and then co-create potential solutions to rectify, to close gaps, to move forward. Got it. I understood. (laughs) And so then you've got your five-step model for coaching. Can you walk us through each of the five steps? Yeah. The first one is what I call just assess the situation, right? And that can happen before you even have the conversation. So whatever data you have, let's say it's performance coaching. Let's say you have monthly reports of somebody in a call center and you're able to see from the reports how many calls they've taken, how many calls they kept in queue, what was their hold and wait times, you know, whatever it is you're measuring. And or you're collecting feedback from others who are on a project team with that individual or somebody has come to you with feedback. That's part of the assessment, but it doesn't end there. You're continuing to assess it at the first conversation because one of the first things that I always recommend is that you get the employee's perspective of the situation. Even if you feel like you understand it, you know it, it's pretty clear, I would say give that person the opportunity to share their perspective. So the question goes, how do you think that meeting went yesterday? Tell me about the project. What's new? Or do you have any concerns? Where are we on this initiative? Is there anything that's making you uncomfortable? You're starting to get their perspective so you have the entire picture instead of jumping to any conclusions. Okay. All right. So that's one, we assess the situation. And then two, we generate ideas. Generate ideas, right. And this is the co-create part. I think this is another reason maybe leaders hesitate is because they're like, I got a multitude of things happening. I'm not sure I'm going to have the exact answer for what's plaguing this individual or what's keeping them from meeting these goals at my fingertips. So I'm a little intimidated. Well, you don't have to have the answers. You simply ask the person, what could you have done differently? I mean, you might have ideas, but that's how the conversation continues. Or you say, what might be missing? What's keeping you from showing up as your best self or from meeting these metrics? What do you think's keeping you? And even if they don't have any idea, you come to the table. Do you feel knowledgeable about the products that you're selling? Do you feel that you can manipulate all the platforms within a given phone call? Is that what's plaguing you here, right? So you come up with solutions together of how to move forward, to get the performance on track or to help the person feel like they're progressing. All right. And to your previous point associated with not leaping in and saying, oh, this happened to me and this is what I did. (laughs) You also talk about co-creating. How do we do that dance associated with, we're not jumping in and doing the idea generation, we're prompting them. How does that work? Yeah. And I'm glad you asked me that because I will say that true coaching that uses what you have heard is the Socratic method, which is asking question after question. So what did you do? So how did that make you feel? Now, I'm going to go on record here saying that if I were to be graded as a purist on coaching, I probably would not do very well. Because I think there is a point at which once you've asked the questions and the person has explored and you can tell they're really kind of at a loss, then it's okay to step in with, hey, are you open to hearing what I think might help? 
Or are you open to a suggestion about how to move forward here? And then it's perfectly okay to give your suggestions. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying don't start there. Give the person an opportunity, but then it's perfectly okay to say, including here's what's worked for me in the past. The point I was trying to make before is that we tend to get caught up in the story. And that's what I mean by, oh, that happened to me or, oh, well, why did you do that? Oh, and then what did he say? Because then we start going backwards and we spend too much of our time in the story and not enough time moving forward in the coaching process. Okay. And then the third step, develop an action plan. How is this done? Again, together, more than anything, you encourage the person once they've decided how they're going to move forward. Great. Who can be of most help as you do that? Can you think of anybody who can help you with that? Or when do you think you'll want to have this done by? This has been on your individual development plan I see here for eight months. If you want to get it done this year, let's put an aggressive timeline in here. What do you think of that? So you're, again, you're holding them accountable for their own action process, but you're giving them some nudges, some support, and you're challenging them at the same time. Okay. And then the fourth step is provide support. What's that look like? So anything you can do, if you could introduce them to somebody who knows a particular skill or can help them get exposure to a project that has more of the type of work that they want to be doing, then make the connection. If you have access to budget that can be given to them to take on a course, if they need to spend more time with you going over some of their decks for presentations because you found out that they go into too much detail, again, not necessarily a performance issue, maybe a career development issue, right? Smart as a whip, know their stuff inside and out, but maybe they're used to delivering presentations to technical-only professionals. And you want to help them present to non-technical. So maybe it means more of your time to go over some of their presentations and give them feedback. Any way you can support them. All right. And the fifth step, follow up? Yes. And this is like anything else. It's like having an accountability partner, right? This is why the peer coaching works so well. You are the person that's going to help to ensure that there's follow through. But it also shows on your end that this wasn't a gratuitous conversation, that you actually do care and you are going to move forward helping the person see that these things happen for them. Okay. Well, Sarah, could we maybe do a demonstration role play in which you coach me about a thing? Certainly. Let's say I find myself procrastinating on processing my email inbox and uh, I've, I've got a backlog that piles up and, and I don't like it and, and other people don't like it. So where should we begin? Yeah. And not probably an uncommon scenario, especially as people's projects get, you know, we get more projects and they get exponentially bigger, right? So I think I would start by saying, you know, helping you be more open with what may be going on. So tell me how the projects are going. That's when you can say, they seem to be fine, but I feel like people's expectations of me maybe are not the typical what I'm used to. I feel like things are falling through the cracks. Again, I'm just going to explore what do you think might be going on? And that's when you can say, I feel like my inbox is always full. I can't keep it up. My question would be, so what kind of a 
organizational productivity system do you have? I mean, do you have a certain cadence to how you handle your emails? Tell me about how you organize your work. Well, sure thing. So I'd say I use the superhuman email app. I do it when I have a free moment in between things. And uh, that's maybe the extent of my organization in the email world. Great. Well, and for most of us that may have worked to a certain point, but when we get under pressure or when the workload's even more heavy, those moments are fewer and far between and we find ourselves behind. So what do you think you could do differently if just reserving for when you're free to get to those emails? Any other thoughts about what might be helpful for you? Well, I suppose real time needs to be allocated for them. And the amount of time that they have been getting has been insufficient to bring it to zero. So one way or another, I guess more time needs to go there. I guess I've just been reluctant to do so because it's not interesting and I'm not sure it's going to be value added relative to the other things I could be doing. Well, I see your point. We get a lot of emails that aren't necessarily germane to what we're doing right now, and it could be frustrating. But if you were to do that, what would that look like? Would it look like in the mornings? Is that when are you at your best, most productive, most efficient? Well, that is in the morning. And I guess I'm wondering if email deserves my best or if I should give it time that is my worst or middle ground. We had Carrie Newhoff on the show talk about, you know, sort of green zone times, yellow zone times and red zone times in terms of your energy, attention, focus, motivation, oomph, you know, going on. So yeah, that, that gets me thinking, maybe I need to figure out, hey, it, email doesn't deserve my best time, but it needs some time. And so here is the time in which I am medium functioning in terms of I can be motivated enough to answer these emails, but not feel like I'm casting my pearls before swine or, you know, wasting the most precious gold of the day on a sort of administrative feeling matters, but still reach that inbox zero, which feels so freeing and feels like I've got a lot of mental space when there's not a big, big load of emails waiting for me. I hear you. I'm with you on that. I am almost too distracted during the day when I know my emails are piling up. There's this anxiety, this anxiousness that I know it's there. And so I'm all for using your most productive time early in the morning. For example, I know some people do their best writing or their best strategy thinking, but I like your idea of at least giving it the medium productivity action so that you can get through it and you can get through it efficiently but that it also leaves what energy you do have left for the day without that being that sort of taxing feeling that you've got this hanging over your head. And let's not forget, you've got other people who, for whatever reason, may be waiting on your response for their own production. And so I would just say, think of that too. I mean, you may see it as low value administrative, but there may be a couple of key emails in there that need your attention and that others are waiting on. And so from that standpoint, I think it's important. Okay. Yeah. So that makes sense to me in, in terms of, it might not be my number one thing, but 
other people may, it may be their number one thing is, is hearing from me so they can proceed. So just in terms of being a good citizen and team player, uh, I can, uh, sacrificially uh <laughs> and generously <laughs> do that for them and in the hopes that you know hey we all re reciprocate and it works out for everybody sure so yeah i'm thinking maybe four uh 4 p.m might be a good time to put in half an hour a day on the emails and that should probably get us close to zero if i'm doing that with consistency great pete when do you think you can start that oh probably today wonderful why don't we reconnect in a couple of weeks. I mean, I'll be curious to see how that's working for you and happy to help you. If it doesn't seem to be moving the needle forward, we can maybe come up with some other solutions. Okay, good deal. All right, so there we have it. We assess the situation, <laughs> we generate some ideas, we develop an action plan, we have some support. Thank you in the follow-up. Nifty, any reflections on your end on the role play? One thing I always say as a primer to coaching is that you have to know your employees and there has to be some semblance of trust and rapport. You can't skip that when you're coaching, right? In fact, I tell a story of, of trying to help somebody better connect with their project team. And I did what I tell people not to do. And I jumped to the fix it mode. And I said, well, why don't you start meeting with them individually? And that suggestion failed miserably because A, I didn't ask her more questions, but B, she didn't know them very well. And so when she started asking questions, there was almost a kind of look on their face like they didn't trust her or they weren't sure what her... What are you trying to pull here? <laughs> yeah. What's your MO here? So I would just, this is just a good place to bring up that, you know, we're just doing an on the spot. We've known each other through professional, as colleagues through the years, but we don't work together, right? I don't know what makes you tick on a daily basis necessarily. And so I would hope that that conversation was a little more refined based on knowing you. Yeah. Okay. You know, I could have said something like, oh yeah, Pete, I know how much you like those emails. It could have been a funny, right? But it would be a way to build rapport and get you to see that I'm just not going to be rigid about getting your emails done. I'm going to try to approach this in a way that works for you. Understood. Okay. And then I'm curious when it comes to coaching, any super favorite questions, words, phrases that often yield goodies on the other side? Most of them are open-ended for one. If you ask, how's the project going? Good. You're just not going to get much, right? But if you're really conscious of asking, okay, so what might make you more comfortable with this solution? That kind of question you can ask individually or to a group that you've just announced a new project or initiative. And to me, that gets the meeting after the meeting out in the open, or it gets your coachee to tell you something that they would have walked away saying, Ugh, you know, easier said than done. I knew she was going to suggest that. Right. So, but if you ask that right then and there, then you're getting, you're just peeling back the onion layers and you're getting to more efficient information. Maybe you say, I don't necessarily see it that way. Can I tell you why? That's very different than saying, I don't agree. Because you're putting the person at the defense. Whereas in the other case, it's a little disarming. You just don't see it that way. It doesn't mean it's, a, you know, it's an indictment against them or their idea. You just don't see it that way. And can I tell you why? I want to offer another kind of angle here. So those are just some examples of open-ended questions. 
Okay. Well, tell me, Sarah, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? No, other than the book has several pages of good, powerful phrases or questions. They don't always have to be a question. It could be, tell me more, which is not a question. But um, if anybody's interested in those types of tools, the book is full of them. All right. Well, now could you share a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? My favorite quote is, please be responsible for the energy you bring into this room. Okay. Yes. And a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Well, this probably has to do with coaching and it has to do with leadership, but it was done by the Journal of Economic Psychology. And there, there were a group of researchers that wanted to study the optimal strategy for goalies, soccer goalies, and blocking penalty kicks. Okay. And what they found after watching hundreds of videos and speaking to expert coaches and goalies is that when goalies stay in the middle of the net, they block the ball 33% of the time. When they move to the left or the right, it goes down by half. 14% on the right, 13.3 on the left. Point being is that we as leaders, as professionals, I think sometimes mistake motion for meaning and we have a bias for action. I get it. I'm a work in progress on that. And that study to me sort of highlights this idea that we would really benefit from taking more pauses, more pauses to think strategically, more pauses to coach our employees, more pauses to reflect. All right. And a favorite book? Favorite book. It just came out. It's called The Chrysalis Code, Becoming the Type of Leader Other People Want to Follow by my good friend and colleague, Ron J. West. All right. And a favorite tool, something you used to be awesome at your job? We talked about this last time. I'm going to say it again. LinkedIn, huge tool for me. And then I'm going to throw in a few personal ones that save me time. And Amazon, I don't know what I would do without it. It's kind of scary because when I need something, I don't have to run out to Office Max or fill my day with errands on top of work. I just, my fingertips right there. And similarly, Instacart, which is not everywhere, but a lot of places. And I can imagine with three kids, this would be a boon for you, but getting my groceries delivered is hugely helpful. All right. And a favorite habit, something you do to be awesome at your job. Well, it's a word that I didn't know of until I think a year or two ago. And I read about it in one of Adam Grant's posts. And apparently I'm a procrastinator. So it's the opposite of a procrastinator. I actually do things really far in advance. And that has served me very well because I guess my years in uh, corporate, I knew that fires would always have to be put out. And so when I had the time, I would get projects done early so that I wouldn't feel as overwhelmed when things popped up that were, were not planned. And is there a key nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate? Folks quote it back to you often. I mentioned one earlier that I think resonates with leaders, which is this idea of mistaken motion for meaning. And that's probably the key one lately. Ever since COVID, I think I find that people are just, they have no buffer time between any of their meetings and no, no time to actually make connections and put things together and be creative and innovative. Okay. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? I'd point them to my website, 
sarahcanaday.com. And there's no H in Sarah. And Canada is just like Canada, but with a Y at the end. Or LinkedIn, of course. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? I do. I would say just one, make one final or baby step towards this idea of coaching. It doesn't have to be, okay, I'm going to coach somebody. Pick a meeting this week where you're just going to intentionally ask an open-ended question, or you're going to intentionally paraphrase so that you can actively listen. So what I'm hearing you say is, or let me see if I got this right, because those are the things that are really important in coaching. So just pick one aspect of coaching and pick a meeting where you're going to try it on. All right, Sarah, this has been a treat. I wish you many good coaching sessions in the future. (laughs) Thank you. It's been a treat to be here. I really appreciate Sarah's take on staying curious a little bit longer and not leaping into giving the advice and that any of us, if we listen, ask some decently thought-provoking questions, can be genuinely useful in the role of coach. It doesn't take a superpower. Such a good reminder from Sarah. Again, the show notes, the transcript, and the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP847. Hope to catch you next time. And peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.